0: Matthew 26, verses 36. If you open the scriptures there, you won't be far off. And I guess you've probably worked out that I'm going to continue talking about prayer or prayer based around the Lord's Prayer. had an interesting discussion last week. Um, I made a statement just to see how people sort of responded to it. And I said, the most important thing is prayer. And, of course, people said, oh, no, it's faith. So I said, well, how do you access faith? And then they said, oh, it's Jesus. And I said, well, he's God. So that's sort of slightly to one side. Uh, And the more you talk about it, prayer becomes more and more important. How do you access anything through prayer? The very first, very, very first second that you exercise your faith is actually a prayer. So whether or not we want to use words like the most important, let's just accept that prayer is essentially important to to our Christian life. So, that's the first point. The second point is that Jesus taught us to pray. And if I tell you that Jesus said, when you pray this, and he gave us the Lord's Prayer, you'll forgive me for pushing it because I'm on pretty good authority. Jesus said, when you pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, we've unpacked this a number of times in the church, and I have almost finished writing something which would put this out make it easier. It's getting there. It's not quite there yet, but it's coming. So I'm going to look at this slightly to one side this morning. This, I don't know whether this is a kind thing to say or a hard thing to say, but when life is challenging, it brings out both the best and the worst in us. I think... I'm looking at my own experience of my own life. It's amazing how my wife will know when I'm thinking about something in a negative way because she says I become grumpy. Now, she's not right. Um, It's just her observation. But apparently, I become grumpy. Um, I think I'm just thinking about things, but she just says I become grumpy. So... Let, let's, I know that sounds like humorous, but take that really a little bit more seriously. That when we really are challenged and when life is really difficult, what does it bring out in us? How do we respond? And I think when we look at Jesus in Gethsemane, we find the Son of God, we find Jesus at his most pressured. After Gethsemane, he has surrendered his choice. He's just going with the events. In Gethsemane, he still has choices. What does it bring out in him? What does it show us, his real core values? And I'm just going to make an observation to you that prayer is about sitting down, kneeling and praying It's also the exercise of life values. And if you look and read this through, from the time of Gethsemane until the cross, every aspect of the Lord's Prayer is worked out. Now, is that accidental? Is it the writers constructing it? Or was it the Lord's true values coming out in this time of great pressure. And this morning, in the, in the short time we've got, I'm just going to draw your attention to the aspects of the Lord's Prayer that come out between Gethsemane and the cross. Because if they were important to Jesus, at this, his most pressured time of his life, they are important to us. So let's look at Jesus in Gethsemane. Then this is Matthew twenty six thirty six. then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I go over there and pray now let's get the context here because sometimes it's easy to lose the context this is after the um, Passover meal it's after a big meal it's late at night and they have eaten a big meal <laughs> This big meal probably contained a small amount of alcohol, which makes you sleepy. Also, this was not for the disciples unusual. They did not know this was Jesus' trial time. If you read through the the other um, stories in, in the Gospels, Remember that, um, be careful not to give any adverts here, but um, you know, Premier Inn, Days Inn, the Travel Lodge, Airbnb, these things did not exist at this time where they were. They are from Galilee, they are now in Jerusalem. Where do they stay? Where do they sleep? What do they do? Well, you find it mentioned a number of times, they usually went to the Mount of Olives at night. It was the usual thing. Now, maybe. It was just the disciples and Jesus that went to the Mount of Olives at night. Maybe loads of people went to the Mount of Olives at night. I don't know. But for the disciples, this was not unusual. They had their big meal. They had their celebration. Certainly what Christmas dinner, if you like, if you want to put it into a Western context. They, they, they've done that. They're, they're, they're full up. They've eaten. And they go off and they go to the place where they usually go at nights when they're visiting Jerusalem. And they usually go to sleep. That's the usual context. And then Jesus says this time, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, I'm picking on some of the words here, but it's important to get this picture while I go over there and pray. This is a situation where Jesus makes prayer an event. He deliberately goes to a place to pray. And if we read this through, he, there's almost three parties. There's the disciples, then he goes a little distance with, with, the, with the three of the inner circle, then he goes off by himself. So there's these three groups. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, John and James, um, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So I want you to see the picture. And I want you to remember, this is not an unusual thing. Now, there's an awful lot we can unpick from this this little bit. The first one, and I think probably for me the most poignant one, How many times in the Bible can you find where God asks us, humanity, for help? How many times does God ask us for help? I can find lots of times where he asks for cooperation. But cooperation is not the same as help. And Jesus turns to the disciples and says, Will you not watch with me? What was he asking for? What was he meaning? He was asking them to stay with him and watch with him. Now, what was the response of the disciples? Well, they fell asleep. So this is the one time in the scripture that God asks human beings for help and they let him down. Now, we need to take that into ourselves because this is where we are coming from. But I want to ask ourselves, what was Jesus actually asking for when he said, watch with me? What was actually happening? What was the purpose of watch with me? Well, I can tell you exactly what I understand from that. I don't. I haven't got a clue what was happening in terms of psychology, in terms of metaphysics, in terms of theology. I don't know. There are so many different ways. I don't know. What I do know is that somehow the Son of God says to us, helping, being with, watching with other people in their time of stress and difficulty is valuable. Don't ask me how, because I don't know. Maybe for different people in different ways. Maybe for some it's identification, for some it's comfort, I don't know. So let's maybe, okay, yourself think it through. I don't know. What I do know is that Jesus said, I am going through a very, very difficult time, will you watch with me? And if prayer is primarily aligning ourselves with God's will and listening, here is another side of prayer watching with, being with, identifying with people who are troubled or people who are in distress. We pray for the suffering church. What are we doing? The only thing we can pray is that they align themselves individually and corporately with God's will. We pray for the leaders of our country. What can we pray? We pray that they align themselves with God's values and God's will. But here we also obey the Lord and watch with them, stay with them. Don't, I mean, if you can understand that and unpack it, please tell me, but I can't understand what's going on other than the fact there is the importance of watching with and staying with people that brings something to them in terms of help or comfort or reassurance or a closeness to God. I don't know. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face. Now if you read it in Luke, it says he knelt down and prayed. And if you look up Timothy, it says lifting holy hands to the Lord. And if you go into the Old Testament, you find kneeling, lying, all sorts of ways. what I'm basically saying is the position in prayer you take I don't think matters. What matters is the heart position. He humbled himself before God. That was the key point here. He asked them to watch with him which we've mentioned, I'll leave that with you because it's how we maybe should pray with those who are ill or sick or whatever. Don't lecture, stay with them. Watch with them and help them in that way. And then he goes off by himself and he fell on his face or in in, uh, Luke knelt down and prayed. He addresses his attitude towards the God to whom he's praying to. And then he prays, my father. The Lord's Prayer, our father. So there's three points in the Lord's Prayer. The first one is to know to whom you are praying and to adjust yourself accordingly. Calling God Abba? Fine. But there's nothing I read in the scripture about informality with God, or flippantness with God. We are coming to the Creator God, and Jesus comes before the Creator God in a particular and humble way, and prayed, saying, My Father... The second part of the Lord's Prayer is, Thy will be done. Three times, Jesus says to them, says to God, Take this cup from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So in his great time of pressure, he goes back to his core values. His core value is to be humbled before his Father and to seek that God's will is done not his will is done we can go through this in the order it happens or we can go through it in the order of the Lord's prayer but let's go through it in the order that it happens and he came to his disciples and found them sleeping now let's, let's be fair about this not an unfair thing In their, from their position this is what they thought they were supposed to do Jesus has said, please watch with me one hour, but from their context, this is what you normally do in the middle of the night, in the night of olives, after you've had a big meal and a glass of wine and whatever else, is you go to sleep. So, it's not a sin, it's a weakness. They haven't done anything wrong, but they've let let God down, but they're not really aware of that. So he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation... The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is that not true? The Spirit is often willing, and the flesh is often very weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, let's look at this bit temptation, because the Lord's Prayer talks about lead us not into temptation. We have, um, I guess you know, I'm going to say this, a historic problem here, again, with the translation. Okay, the Greek word means trial. And I'll let you, let's have an auction, a sort of past auction. Who wants to have a guess at the first translation in English to use the word temptation as opposed to trial? Let me have an offer. Come on, be bold. No. (laughs) You knew I was going to say that, don't you? (laughs) Before the King James. No? Who said Tyndale? Before Tyndale. Whitecliffe. Thirteen eighty. Translating from Latin into English. He didn't have the Greek uses the word temptation, 1380. And if you go to James, where this word comes up an awful lot, you find Wycliffe using temptation and King James using trial. So the words begin to change its use. The concept of temptation to us implies a sense of wrongdoing, a sense of evil, a sense of being tempted by the devil. Okay? not in the greek word the greek word just simply means testing it's not an idea of evil at all in luke 4 where we have jesus being tempted by the devil or tried by the devil it's the context that brings the devil into it not the word so this word, enter into temptation, is better translated, in all honesty, as trial. And many of the modern translations do that. If you look this up in things like the Message or some of the ultra uh, sort of wide liberal um, sort of paraphrases, they'll make sure that point comes across. If you go back to the tri- those traditional translations that follow in the English tradition, they tend to follow the tr- keep using the traditional words, although the words themselves have changed. Um, there's a very famous one in the King James example that says about the Holy Spirit that him that letteth will let where when King James wrote that let meant prevent today it means allow so you have a complete different use of the word if, we, if we're not careful but the word's changed its use since 1380 the English language is really just starting off in 1380 when went, this was the time that uh, Chaucer was writing and before that And uh, anyway we won't go there so watch and pray that you may not be tried is the, the text here. That you, you, you will not fail in the trial. And the Lord's Prayer, of course, is save us from the trial. And if you unpack that, it's really talking about your walk with yourself and God. Your own piety is, is, is an old-fashioned word. The way that you decide you will walk with God. Because it's not God that leads you into trials. So if you fail, whose fault is it? But James is pretty clear on that it's in the first chapter of James. It's yours, right? So here's the, 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 the challenge in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into trial. When you find that things are, have gone wrong in your life because of uh, wrong decisions, don't blame God. Look at yourself and ask yourself how you got into this position. So Jesus, in this time of of, of his difficulty, of his challenge, one of his values that he keeps raising is this idea of the trial, of walking correctly with God. Now, we have old-fashioned words, sanctification, separation. We have all these old-fashioned words for this. But here it is, in the Lord's Prayer. And it's a value that Jesus uses. We should unpack this and bring it more into our lives, not push it out there as an old-fashioned concept. It's in the Lord's Prayer. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation or to trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus understands why it's going wrong, but nevertheless, nevertheless, he's asking for you to be careful about the trials of your life. And remember, this happens, this is really poignant to me, it happens in the context of the only time that God himself, or the Son of God, asks human beings for help. All he, wants you to, all he asks is, please watch with me. While he goes through this, this incredible uh, time, this moment, that basically the whole of, of creation and, and, and our, our life and salvation depends upon, um, his will in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he submits, he gives, over, he gives himself over to God's will, and says, will you not watch with me at this time that they fall asleep? So the power of, um, and the weakness of, of the spirit and the flesh. So leaving them, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep then and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So why does he say sleep then? They've let him down. He's asked them to watch with him, and then he recognises that, in fact, they do need sleep. They now—he's asking them to be up all night. Really, he knows what's coming. They don't. Now I see that as provision, that he's actually giving them the provision they need. But if we come to the Lord's prayer, and that the part of the Lord's prayer that asks us to give us this day our daily bread. I want to read you this bit. But standing by the cross of Jesus, this is John 19, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour onwards, the disciple took her to his own home. We've talked a little bit in the, in the church, certainly I have, over the last year or two, of looking at the magnific- what we call Magnificat, the prayer of Mary in the start of Luke. And how that is based upon the Lord's Prayer. And it shows us there that these three core values of prayer that come up over and over again. The first one is honouring and knowing whom God is. The second one is celebrating what God's will is and what God, what God has done. And the third one is thanking God for provision. Those three core values, they come up in the Psalms, they come up in the Magnificat, they come up in, in the Prayers and Acts, they come up in the Lord's Prayer, over and over again, these three points. Now, when Mary is standing at the foot of the cross, we can ask ourselves, what is going through her heart and mind? She's seeing her son, in, in a human sense, dying in front of her. But she's also remembering the things that were said to her. And Remember back in Luke, it says, Mary stored all these things up in her heart. And it says she was told a sword would pierce your own heart. So she knows, she's, she's been expecting this. Maybe she doesn't know exactly how or what, but she knows that having Jesus as a son is going to lead to a time of, of pain and, and difficulty. So she will, she's going to be praying, and I think it's reasonable to say she's going to be praying the way she normally prays, and we can see in the Magnificat how she prays. She is going to be praying to the God to whom she knows. She's going to be seeking to understand God's hand and God's will in this. And she's going to be praying for provision, because she's told to pray for provision. And for me, here it is, what is the core value of Jesus as he's dying? He's concerned about the provision for other people, in this case his mother. So another of those core values from the Lord's Prayer, he provides for his mother from the cross. So as we go through the Lord's Prayer, one by one, we see these core values coming out. We see it in the Lord's prayer and we see it as a value that Jesus lives through as he goes through this, this this journey. Recognizing whom God is and approaching God as his Father with honor and respect. Seeking to align his will with God's will. Not praying against the situation, not praying against the soldiers, but seeking to align himself with God's will. Seeking God for provision and his Here, providing for others. and We come to the trial, being aware of trial and difficulty in our lives and how he is uh, warning the disciples and actually trying to help the disciples through their trial, although he himself has been let down for them. The last part of the Lord's Prayer is salvation by faith. Deliver us from evil. Nothing you can do about that. It's a question of saying, deliver me from evil. And the whole act of the crucifixion was to open the door for us for salvation by faith. And that just leaves the one other part of the Lord's Prayer, which is, of course, all about forgiveness. And really, if we look at the journey from Gethsemane to the cross, I hardly need to raise with you the issue of forgiveness. It's like Jesus forgave everybody he came across on that journey. The bit we, may, we will remember is Luke 23. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when he came to the place that's called the Skull or Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do core value that is in Jesus, that of forgiveness. It would have been very easy for him to have been very uh, pious or righteous and and gone to his death (laughs) saying, the wrath of God will fall upon you. But he didn't. He prays to God that God will forgive them because they do not know what they do. So he's dying for the sins of the world, but praying that God will forgive those who crucify him. So we can see all the six points of the Lord's Prayer lived out, worked out, between Gethsemane and the cross. And I want to put it to you just again, if that's the case, how important is it that we pray in this manner? And Jesus said, Pray this way. It wasn't just advice, it was a command, it's a lifestyle. How many of you remember Tertullian or have heard of Tertullian? He was a somewhat controversial figure. Um, he was writing about 200 AD. I tried to work that out in how many generations between him and Jesus. Uh, it's he worked it out. It sort of means that he could have known someone who could have known someone's grandfather who knew Jesus. It was sort of that sort of period, um, you know, 170 years before after Jesus died. And it's, it's 2000 Tertullian's writing about that time. Um, you know, life goes on. I sometimes think that my grandfather was born by 1890, 1880. So I know someone who was born in 1880, so I must have known someone who knew someone who was around at Waterloo or something. You know, you start sort of thinking about how, how, how far away it was. But Tertullian was pretty early. And the, the point about Tertullian is that um, all the scriptures were certainly given by this time, by 200 AD, but they were not collected together in one place. There was a lot of things that were confusing. They didn't have the Bible as we had it. They may have had the, the, the scriptures, but they weren't brought together. And Tertullian made a very simple point. He said that the epitome, the summing up of the whole gospel, is in the Lord's Prayer. Then he gave a very succinct, a very even today, a very good um, commentary on the Lord's Prayer, which you can Google, just Google Tertullian Lord's Prayer and, and you'll get it. So way back then, as early as 200 AD, Tertullian is saying the Lord's Prayer is the summing up of the gospel. What I would like to try and do this morning is leave you with the thought that the Lord's Prayer is not just a prayer. It is the summing up of the whole Gospel. It is a way of living, of core values that should be in our daily life that we see in Jesus between Gethsemane and the cross. And if we see it in Jesus, then that's a pretty good recommendation. So, we'll just finish with that thought. These are core values that should be in all of our lives that we should be living on a daily basis. And if I can just prod you one small time and remind you that prayer is essentially that of listening not of speaking. And the most important aspect is to align yourself with God's will rather than trying to align God with yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. As Ginny prayed, we thank you for the joy of worship. We thank you for that great, um, wonderful experience of joining together and praising and worshipping you. And we also thank you, Lord, for the, the wonders of your word, as we saw in Psalm 19. It guides our feet, leads us, and shows us how we should live. And Father, I pray that this morning, as we've heard your word, and we've seen it in the Psalms, we've seen it here that you would help us to look at the trials that we have before us, to stand strongly, to seek your will, to have the humility to come before you as God, to watch with others, to stand with others, to be with others, and as such, to represent you on earth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.